Sitting in the first-class compartment of the train, Annie rode the metro to its far northern end. If the police checked her ticket, she would pretend not to speak French and play the ignorant American. Liberté, égalité, fraternité. It rankled her notions of democracy that there should be separate classes in the subway. It also appalled her that people were required to show identity cards if the cops requested them. It was one thing to be asked for a driver's license if you were in a car, but the notion of having to produce official documents for merely ambulating in public was bizarre. No one had yet requested to see either her carte de séjour or her passport. This ordeal seemed reserved primarily for young men whose skin tones ran to shades of brown, copper, cocoa, and coffee. Annie walked the last half mile to the university at Saint-Denis. There was a network of star professors whose seminars and lectures American university students flocked to in a kind of cerebral tourism. She had vowed not to do it herself, but here she was, making the pilgrimage to Saint-Denis, to hear Professeur Julien Cafard, the renowned philosopher. Both Zed and Sondage made frequent reference to Cafard's work. They belonged to the same intellectual constellation, so Annie felt compelled to hear the great man's words coming out of his own mouth. Thirty minutes before the seminar began, students jammed the classroom, standing along the walls when all the seats at the tables were taken. Julien Cafard entered, surrounded by an entourage of acolytes. The white-haired professor chain-smoked his way through a lecture on truth, while Annie jotted down phrases she hoped were at the heart of his argument. Suddenly, Cafard stopped mid-sentence and went into a spasm of ragged coughing. The student next to Annie whispered into her ear, He has only one lung. Philosophy is a cruel mistress. Annie glanced at her neighbor with enormous dark eyes and a drooping mustache under a prominent nose. He looked like a reincarnation of Marcel Proust. At the end of the lecture, he introduced himself as Philippe and invited Annie to come to his home for tea. His place was only a short walk from the campus, so Annie agreed. The apartment's shutters were drawn Thick drapes covered most of the windows, and the wallpaper was ruby red. The place had a dark, womb-like atmosphere. Philippe, switching on an antique floor lamp over which hung a red silk shawl, explained that he suffered from severe asthma, hence the sealed windows. There were two side chairs in the room, a box spring leaning against one wall, and towering stacks of gray cardboard egg crates. What are those for? Annie asked, gesturing at the egg cartons. Follow me, he said. They went into the next room, which was dominated by a large bed with a red velvet headboard. An upright piano stood nearby. Overhead, the ceiling was lined with egg crates. The neighbors complain about my piano, so I put up the cartons against the noise. Let me play for you, Philippe said. He settled himself onto the piano bench as though he were in a concert hall. He closed his eyes and began awkwardly to play a satie nocturne, 
his nostrils dilated, his brow furrowed, and when a black forelock fell over his face, he tossed his head like a stallion. Freezing his hands above the keys, Philippe gazed at Annie with longing. He breathed, Je suis fou. Je veux follement te faire l'amour. Then he flung himself at her. Just as they were getting each other's clothes undone, Philippe leaped up, shouting, Mon Dieu, I'm late for my job. Hurriedly buttoning his shirt, Philippe hustled her out of the apartment. When he asked for her coordinates, she gave him a number that was correct except for the final numeral. With any luck, she would never see him again.